Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment to let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. Today, Clyde Glass is continuing in our Advent series titled, When He Comes Again, the Second Advent. And also, we're continuing in our December Giving Challenge, and we've set the goal of $585,000, and we're trusting that God would bring those funds in. And we're asking that each of us prayerfully consider what we could give over and above our regular giving in this month of December. These funds continue to make ministry possible here at Southview, and we're incredibly thankful for your ongoing generosity. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we'd love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form uh, if you'd like us to support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us. May each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. With those joining together online, as we come together to worship, to pray together, and to come to God's word, and to let it lead us to the meal of communion in the presence of Christ. So glad you are here for this. And let's begin with a question. And it's a significant question. What is your vision of what the afterlife will look like? What pictures, images come to mind for you? You know, in our passage today, in the book of Revelation, John is given a vision of that life to come, a revelation of what happens when Christ returns. So let's listen to the description and the vision John received. We're in Revelation chapter 21, and as we hear this, friends, remember, this is a word of God. And this is what John saw, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Amen. 
So John is giving us a picture here of what will happen when Jesus Christ returns at his second advent. And I want to make sure we're clear on this. So let me just explain for a moment what we mean by Jesus' second advent, his second coming. Because we know that scripture teaches that Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and then he ascended to heaven and reigns now there with God, seated by his glorious throne. But he's not staying there. Because scripture tells us he's going to return triumphantly to earth again at his second coming, and each one of us will be resurrected from the dead, or if we're still living, we'll be raised to Christ. And we will then move into either an eternity in paradise with God if we put our faith and hope in Christ, or if we rejected Christ, we'll move into an eternity of being separated from God, what scripture calls hell or the second death. So we wait for Jesus' second coming. So let's just consider this for a moment. Why is it important that we have a clear understanding of what will take place when Jesus returns? Why is that so important in this life for you and I to grasp? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us one of the reasons back in the book of Romans. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Paul wrote, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Paul says here, In this life we experience suffering, but I have hope even so because... The sufferings of this life, they cannot even compare with the glory that we will experience in the life to come. Okay, so one of the reasons God reveals to us in the Bible what will happen when we die is that knowing what happens to us when we die is one of the great sources during this life for taking away fear And filling us instead with hope, with confidence, with anticipation, even when enduring sufferings during this present life. Okay, so one of the primary sources for hope in this life, catch this, even in our sufferings and challenges, is that we are moving towards this glorious life to come. And so understanding our future glory, it helps you and me to endure and remain strong even when we're suffering. And that's why John was sharing these words with those seven struggling or persecuted churches in ancient Asia Minor. Because again, here's the thing. When fear decreases or is removed in this life and hope in God overflows... We live differently. We do. Because as one author put it, when we relish the hope of our future glory with God, like in Revelation 21, we don't as easily yield to the sinful pulls of the moment. We're not as likely to be sucked in by advertising that says the one with the most toy wins. We're less likely to devote our best energies to laying up treasures on earth. 
we don't fret as much over what this life fails to give us, be it wealth or marriage or health or fame or whatever. Instead, we increasingly revel in the wonder that the owner and uni- owner and ruler of the universe loves us and has destined us for glory. And he is even at work now bringing about his kingdom. Okay, so in these realities, we can find and experience hope even when our world seems to be getting crazier, more divided, and even more grief-inducing. So today, as John first did with those ancient churches in Asia Minor, I really want to try to equip and encourage us for facing times of challenge and suffering in this life by reminding us of the realities of what's to come. Because Scripture makes it very clear, friends. Our future glory is going to far exceed our present sufferings. And in Revelation 21, John talks about two coming kingdom realities. He talks here about our destiny and creation's destiny. So let's look at both of those. Let's start out with our future, what we are heading towards, okay? Our destiny in this. Okay, so in what way will our future glory exceed our present suffering? Well, in our Revelation 21 passage, John refers to this transformed kind of life we'll experience. Listen again. This is Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, with us. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Then verse 7, the one who conquers, meaning the one who endures in faith, will have this heritage. And I will be his God, God says, and he will be my son. Okay, did, did you notice at all how kind of a lot of the terminology or emphasis in this passage is on relationship? As it says here, we'll dwell with him, we'll be his people, he will be with us as our God. We'll be like his children, sons and daughters of God. I mean, we can't even imagine, can we? We cannot Now, the thing is, the Apostle Paul, he expands on this coming reality in his letter to the church in Philippi. He writes this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Okay, so for one, at Christ's return, your lowly body, this thing you're wearing, is going to be transformed into a glorious, redeemed body. So what will our redeemed, glorious bodies look like? Well, Paul says right here in Philippians, it'll look like Jesus' body after his resurrection. That's what Paul says. And we ask, what will that be like? 
Well, there's a lot we don't know about it, but there are some things that we do know from Scripture about a resurrected bodies that we will have. And, and so let's just touch on a few of the elements. Okay, first, know this. Rest in this reality. Your resurrected body will be your body. Okay? Remember what Paul said about this? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53. He said, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body that we live in must put on immortality. Okay, so we read that. We ask the question, okay, so will we be like Lazarus? Like when Jesus raised him from the dead? No, we will not be like him. Because Lazarus was bought brought back to life with this same perishable body. That's why later he did die again. I mean, he didn't yet have his final resurrected body. But that won't be the case for us. Because when Jesus rose from the dead with his resurrected body and he appeared to his disciples, he still had the nail prints from the cross on his body, right? And you kind of wonder, okay, how could that be? Well, it was because it was his body. It was his mortal body that had put on immortality. I mean, he was still him. And, and that's why, if you remember some of the accounts, that's why when the people looked at Jesus after his resurrection, it, you often read, they didn't recognize him at first. They didn't understand who he was. But eventually, over time, they came to see, it's Jesus. And that, we could say, would be similar for us. We're really going to be us. We're going to be ourselves, but we'll be transformed. We will have put on immortality, and you will have an eternal body, which is a stunning idea, isn't it? And and I want us to realize this. No other faith or religion in the world has this kind of salvation in it. So for one, your resurrected body, it will be your body. But, but second, I want you to know this. Your resurrected body also, it is going to be a glorious body. Back in 1 Corinthians 15. Again, this is what Paul writes here. Let's pick it up in verse 42. Paul writes here this. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised resurrected is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Okay, now we know this. We know that in this world, there are people with ugly souls who have beautiful bodies. And there are people with beautiful souls who in the world's estimation have ugly bodies. But not then. In fact, C.S. Lewis put it this way. Listen to this. Lewis wrote, if we let him, God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures, pulsating all through with energy and joy and wisdom and love, as we cannot now even imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. That is what we are in for, he writes, nothing less. And friends, we can't grasp it. We can't. We can't even adequately picture it. But our resurrection bodies, like Christ's 
resurrected body, it is going to be glorious. So our resurrected bodies, they will be our bodies for one, but they will be glorious bodies. And then this, thirdly, I just want you to notice this. Your resurrected body, it is going to be a powerful spiritual body. Again, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 43 Paul writes, our body is sown in weakness, it's raised in power, it's sown a natural body, and it's raised a spiritual body. And and we ask, what does that mean? Sounds kind of like an oxymoron. It's raised a spiritual body. I mean, which to us doesn't make all much sense, because in our categories, you're either a spirit or you're a body. But Paul says, We'll be both. And and it helps to think of this when you think of Jesus again after his resurrection, like in Luke 24. And in that account in Luke 24, maybe read it again. Jesus apparently walks right through a locked door. And you remember what his disciples said? It's a ghost, was their guess. But then Jesus says, give me fish, and he eats the fish. And we also know at that scene, he had Thomas the disciple touch his side and feel his wounds from the cross because Jesus had a spiritual body. I mean, like right now, think about this. Right now we have like five senses generally or so, they say. What if then we have 5,000 senses? Who knows? I mean, we need to be good stewards of our bodies in this life. We do. Be as good a steward as you possibly can in this life. But don't put your ultimate hope there. No, because we wait with an eager longing for the resurrection of our glorious, powerful bodies. Amen? We wait for that day. Okay, so, so that's us. That's what the future holds at Christ's second advent for those who have believed in Christ. That's our future hope. Our resurrection bodies will be our bodies and they will be glorious and powerful. And that future glory, that can encourage us even in our present sufferings. So again, that's our destiny. But that's not all. Because let's then consider what John says in Revelation 21 about creation's destiny. What will happen to creation when Jesus returns. Let's listen again to what he writes. This is in verse 1, and John writes, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And we ask, okay, so why do the heavens and the earth need to be made new? Well, again, the Apostle Paul answers that question back in his Roman letter. This is in Romans chapter 8, verse 20. Paul writes, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Okay, so we read there, and we know from Scripture that creation was subjected to futility Meaning that as a consequence of just the cosmic impact of human sin, even creation was marred. 
Human sin messed up even creation. Sin caused even creation to deteriorate. Okay, so here's what I want to make sure we see in our passage today. Creation is going to be redeemed. It's going to be made new in a way similar to how we, followers of Jesus, will have our bodies redeemed, made new. I want to say that again. All of creation is going to be redeemed, made new, in a way similar to how we, followers of Jesus, will have our bodies redeemed, made new. So again, I'd ask, so what is your expectation, your picture of what will happen to creation when Christ returns? Does it match what Paul, what John teaches here? And and I want to bring this up because I know that for many, they have the idea that creation at the second coming of Christ is going to be destroyed. It's going to be done away with, and we're all going to go up to heaven. And, And that's why we sing that hymn, I'll fly away. That's the image given. And and really, we might understandably think that based on several texts in Scripture. For one, based on what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. Because Jesus said this, Matthew 24, 35. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Or we listen to what Peter wrote about this. This is in his second epistle, 2 Peter 3, 7. Peter writes, but this, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Look down to verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. I mean, that sure sounds like the heavens and earth will be burned up and destroyed, doesn't it? So, how do Matthew 24 and 2 Peter 3 fit with what John is describing in Revelation 21? Where it sure sounds like creation is going to be made new, redeemed. Again, similar to how our bodies will be redeemed. Well, I think one question that's important to ask in this is, okay, what does be destroyed and pass away mean in those verses in Matthew 24 and 2 Peter 3? Because when 2 Peter 3 says that the present earth and heaven will pass away, that doesn't have to mean that they cease to exist, right? Right? But it could rather mean that there will be such a transformation, such a change in them, that their present condition is gone. It passes away. I mean, for example, as one writer notes about this, we might say a flood destroyed many farms. But by that, we don't mean that the farms vanished or ceased to exist. Or someone might speak of going under a physical transformation, and they might then say, oh, the old me is gone, I'm a new person. But they don't mean by that that the old them was annihilated. And really in a similar way, these Revelation 21 verses, and really the rest of the New Testament indicate that the creation we know and the earth 
we live on, they will not be annihilated, but they will be transformed. They will be renewed for our eternal joy and for God's eternal glory. And and on this, I think it's helpful here as we talk about this to remind ourselves again about those four main movements of the biblical story. And and we talk about these fairly regularly, about these four main movements we see in Scripture. The first movement in Scripture we could call creation, where those accounts, particularly in the book of Genesis, of God bringing everything into existence in perfect form for his glory. But then the second movement in Scripture is the fall, meaning humanity's turn against God in sin, causing separation from God. But then after that, after creation and fall, the third movement of Scripture that we see described and recorded is redemption. Redemption that comes through Christ, his work, his life, his resurrection, his death on the cross. And then from redemption, the fourth and final movement in Scripture then is restoration. And that's what John is describing here in Revelation 21. Listen again to verses 1 and 2. John says this, Then I saw this new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So this picture again and again we see in Scripture, not that we go up to heaven, but when Christ returns, heaven comes down to us. To put that another way, God is going to restore all of creation to the way he originally designed it to be. What does that mean? I mean, it means, for one, as we've seen, that those who have gained forgiveness and new life in Jesus, they will live eternally with God as his redeemed creations. But also, and again, I especially want us to catch this today, God does not limit redemption just to us image bearers, just to us. Because in the end, God is also going to redeem this universe he made, the heavens and the earth, and he will form what scriptures call a new heaven, a new earth that's unblemished by sin and its consequences. I mean, this is one of really the great beauties of the story of scripture. It is this doctrine of creation come full circle. Beautifully saw from creation to the fall and its marring of all of creation and and then redemption and then this restoration that comes from God, new creation. Timothy Ware writes this about this reality. Not only man's body, but the whole of material creation will eventually be transfigured. Redeemed humanity is not to be snatched away from the rest of creation, but creation is to be saved and glorified along with them, along with us. I mean, the first time that Jesus came from heaven to earth, I mean, he came in weakness to suffer for our sins. But the second time he comes, friends, he is going to judge the world, and he will put a final end to all evil, all suffering, decay, death, in creation. Hallelujah. How we wait for that day. 
And, and that is, again, why the apostle Peter would write this back in 2 Peter 3, verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells in a form similar to the renewed reformed resurrection bodies that those who have turned to Christ will receive. Creation itself is going to be renewed. It will be reformed. And, and just listen on this. This means that Christ's salvation does not merely save our souls so we can kind of escape the pain of the curse of this physical world. No. The final glory is redemption of our souls and bodies as well as the renewal and restoration of this material universe through the grace and power of God and through the incredible work of Christ. Author Vinith Ramakandra of Sri Lanka notes how unique this view is among the religions of the world. He writes this, so our salvation lies not in escape from the world, but in a transformation of this world. You will not find hope for the world in any religious systems or philosophies of humankind. This biblical vision is unique. That is why when some say there's a salvation in other faiths, I ask them, what kind of salvation are you talking about? Because no faith holds out a promise of eternal salvation for the world, for all of creation, the way the cross and the resurrection of Jesus do. Amen? Because the things that are now wrong with this material world, God wants to put right. And this earth even will be renewed, and even the trees will be singing for joy. And friends, if the trees will be able to dance and sing under Christ's cosmos-renewing power, what are we going to be able to do? Because the story of Scripture, the story of all of it declares that heaven is going to descend to earth and it will be like a new Jerusalem descending from heaven when Jesus Christ will reign here then forever and ever. And we're going to be looking at it a bit more next week together. So while we wait with hopeful anticipation of Christ's return to complete this incredible final work, while we wait here, he then calls us to participate with him in bringing about the healing and restoration of God's kingdom here and now as just kind of a foretaste of the future reality he is bringing. We are to bring a taste of that kingdom, which for one means that Christian concern about environmental and ecological matters, that, that is rooted not only in our dependence on this planet, but even more essentially, that prompting is rooted in the glory-giving value of the earth to God its creator. And, and that's why, friends, we as followers of Jesus, we are called to lead on this earth in caring for creation. We are to be leaders in this. Like just one very simple example of this. When the city of Calgary recently came to us and said, okay, we need a place in South Calgary where we can provide recycling bins to encourage recycling, more recycling among the people in the southern part of our city. We then responded to that by saying, yes. 
We, would, we can set apart a small section of our parking lot for that purpose, really just to support and care for our creation and really to be a place where our neighbors around us come here to do that very thing. So next weekend, when you come here, you're going to see a row of recycling bins that way at the far south end of our parking lot. Because again, this is a small thing, but as followers of Jesus, we should be leading the way in caring for this creation. Amen? And in case any of you are thinking, okay, is this just some kind of new reading of scripture in response to all the environmental and ecological concerns of our day, of people in our culture? No, it's not. In fact, in the second century, one of the early church fathers, his name was Irenaeus, this is what he wrote. It is fitting that creation itself will be restored to its primeval condition, meaning it will be restored to its condition before sin entered the world. We could go on and quote more. This isn't some new idea. This is what followers of Jesus in the earliest centuries believed. And and that's the value that even the early church fathers placed upon this creation, and again, upon our responsibility to care for this creation. So what do we picture when Christ returns? All of creation. Can you imagine it? Sun, moon, sea, skies, planets, stars, galaxies, all of it will be part of the coming glory of Jesus. And friends, that is our creation's destiny. And that also is our destiny. And in that reality, we can, even in our suffering, find a glorious hope. Let me add this. I mean, through faith in Jesus Christ, I mean, this resurrection life, this eternal, new creation kind of life, it's open to you now, even beginning today. I mean, you are invited, even now, in a silent prayer, you can just call out to God and say, Father, would you accept me? Would you forgive me? Not because of what I've done or ever will do, but because of what Jesus has done in my place, through his life, his death, his resurrection, his reigning power. Heal me through him. And when you do that and follow Jesus... You are then adopted into God's family, and you are given the right to his eternal fatherly love. And when Christ returns, he will look upon you and say, oh, my dear child, my daughter, my son, I've been waiting for you. Amen? And and so how perfectly then to be prompted at this table, which again is to be a meal for us where we have past, present, and future together in this table. We come to the table and we break this bread thinking of the past for one, remembering the wonder of what Christ has done for us. But we break this bread and we lift this cup also, not just thinking and remembering of the past, but in the present receiving from him. His Holy Spirit is here seeking to feed us spiritually as we take the bread and cup. But it doesn't end just with the past and present, but we look now to the future. We are every time coming to this meal to be thinking of what is yet to come, the expectancy of what we have. And so I would invite you to take the cup you received when you came in and peel off that top layer and take out the bread. And Father, we would ask that as we take this bread and cup, would you cause us to feed us, spiritually speaking? For we come in faith 
in the wonder of what Christ has done and the wonder of what is ahead. So would you take the bread and hold it before you, declaring the wonder that is going to transform your eternity, the wonder that the body of Christ was broken for you. I invite you to take and receive from him. And then would you take the cup? And again, every time we come to this meal, we're to be coming thinking of that day in the wonder of what he brings, the transformation he brings in our lives, our bodies, and all creation. But the wonder of receiving this cup with him again, face to face, because the blood of Christ was poured out for you. Take and receive from him. Will you pray with me? Oh, our gracious Father, we know we can't begin to grasp the fullness of what you've prepared for us, the wonder of what is ahead for us when Jesus returns. So I would pray by work of your spirit, you would cause these realities to not just be clear in our minds, but within our hearts. Within our souls, Father, cause the reality of what is to come to guide us, to give us hope. Whatever challenges or suffering we face, lead us to Jesus, we pray, even this week, and ask it in his incredible name. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. We stand with me, friends. Again, so glad you could be here this weekend. I invite you to join in either here or online next weekend as we conclude our study of the book of Revelation. It is going to be a special weekend for us. So hope you can be here for that. And I remind you as well, our gathering isn't over now. This is a time we can hang out together in the corridor or wherever. And as you walk in this week, whatever it holds for you, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of his Holy Spirit this week, you may abound in hope in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's walk in that grace. Amen.